and welcome back to the Thundergrads. I hope everyone's had a great day and enjoyed Valentine's Day on Monday. I'm your host tonight, Haley Hurst, and I'm here with amazing analyst Michael Martin, and we're going to be breaking down the Valentine's Day game. So, Michael, how was that game? I loved it, pun intended. Look at that one. Oh, yeah. Get that one started out. But that was a lot of fun last night. I mean, the Thunder get the win. Giddy introduced himself to a national audience. I think we said a week ago that it might be at the Rising Stars Challenge, but he went a week early and decided MSG would be his big stage. He had back-to-back triple doubles. I wanted to tell you this is a stat. Three youngest triple doubles in NBA history are Josh Giddy, Josh Giddy, and Josh Giddy. Yes, He's my killing man. it. He went back-to-back triple doubles. He's actually the fourth player ever to record a triple-double in their first game in New York City in Madison Square Garden. He joins Wilt Chamberlain, Magic Johnson, and Chuck Person. Not a bad list with two of the best 10 players of all time. So if he can get in between Wilt Chamberlain, Magic Johnson, and Chuck Person, I think that's a pretty good player. No, I, I definitely agree. I think he's in the running for, for Rookie of the Year. Um, but it's not out of the picture for Mowgli, obvious, Mobley, obviously. But, I mean, I would love to see Giddy up there, and I think he's slowly climbing his way to the top. Absolutely. He's putting up the numbers. I think it's probably going to bite him at the end, just the pure wins that guys like Mobley are going to have, because I think they're like top four in the East right now, the Cavs are. And when in doubt, the voters are going to pick winning over stats most of the time. But there were a lot of great things from last night. I mean, Trey Mann showed out. Trey Mann. Oh, 30 points, like 30 points. And he started the season, you know, making two points per game like not doing well at all. And now we see him out here, a big scorer, a big playmaker on the offense. Time for Skittles, right? Time for Skittles. But he was out there. He was playing really great. He made a bunch of tough shots. Um, Did you see the press conference after the game where he's talking and the lights went out during his press conference? He goes, oh, it looks like I shot the lights out. Of course he would. That's that's his personality. I really like how he always like takes things and he turns things into little jokes or He's, he's really confident, and I love to see it because his confidence is only growing with time. And then he went after that, and he interviewed uh, Giddy afterwards. They were doing the press scrum, and Trey Mann asked Giddy a question. He's like, you clowned Trey Mann a couple weeks ago for not getting 30 when he had only 29, and now he had 30, and you only had 29. I just wanted to ask you about that. And Giddy took some shots at him and said he got, some cheap, he got a cheap 30. He got a lot of free throws and stuff. It, it's fun watching those guys hang out, but Trey Mann was awesome. You know, we talked we talk a lot about the Giddy and the Shea combo, but I think the Giddy Man and Baisley um, little trio mm-hmm. is really working for this Thunder team right now. We're seeing a lot of chemistry and a lot of just passing the ball, and Giddy is doing a great job of passing it in the paint and really making sure that those that um, that they're that he's allowing other players to make plays. Yeah, he's involving everybody. That's yes. for sure. I think you're right on track whenever you're talking about the chemistry between those three guys. I was talking to my dad about it, that you can really tell just throughout the season that Baisley's trust in Giddy, because, I mean, Baisley's in his third or fourth year. He's not, you see a rookie, you're not going to trust him all that much. But you can see him giving up the ball to Giddy, knowing that Giddy's going to make the right play and get it back to you if you're open. Absolutely. And I think that Baisley has definitely turned a corner this season, especially these past few games. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Well, I think we're going to get into that in a second. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Knicks. Okay, and how go. They, okay, just go for it. Go for uh, it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're good. But, um, you know, the Thunder are trying to tank. They win that game last night. But we can't be mad because those young guys are the ones who are the star of the show. If it's something like Kenrich Williams and Ty Jerome 
and Mike Muscala are the ones winning the game for you, then you can be mad that your veterans are the ones doing it. But if it's the young guys who you drafted high and you invested all this time into, you can't be mad that now they're breaking through and playing that well. If they play this well and win a bunch of games, you can't be mad. I was really, I don't know, questionable about some of those late thing, late game things that happened. So Julius Randle had like 30, 10, and 10. He had a 30-point triple-double. One of the more meaningless 30-point triple-doubles I've seen, like I watched the game and it just didn't feel like he had really any impact. But down the stretch, I mentioned, you know, Trey hit those big free throws. Um, Giddy almost threw the game away. He tried to. Whenever he had that inbounds pass, they were tied um, with right before the end of regulation, and he threw that inbounds pass that was stolen by Quentin Grimes, who went in for a layup. And then your, your guy, Baisley, came up big. He had that big shot at the very end to tie the game going into overtime. They go into overtime like uh, Trey kept hitting more free throws. Ty Jerome was trying to be the tank commander. He tried to he tried to miss the well he not he didn't try to miss those free throws, but he tried to lose it. They were up um three in overtime. Trey uh, if Ty Jerome hits both free throws, they're up five with about ten seconds left. The game's over, but he goes zero for two. So the next Knicks get one more shot, and then this brings me to the thing with Tom Thibodeau, which was bewildering. He draws up a play, a great play for that three for the win, but he draws it up Haley for a guy who was zero for six from three before that shot. Why? It just sometimes in the game, it's like, why do you pass the ball to that person in that moment of need? Like, are you expecting them to show up or are you going to pass it to a more reliable player, even though they're being more heavily well, and that guarded? Was, that was the one option for the whole play. They, they had him out there and they're like, we're going to throw it to you and you're going to make it or miss it. And it's like you couldn't draw up a play for somebody like Quentin Grimes, who made multiple threes in that game. It's just it's crazy. But or maybe even Fournier, like even he played Fournier. one of the best basketball games all season for himself with over a 50 percent percentage from the field goal Mm -hmm. yeah he went six of 13 from three Quentin Grimes went five of 14 from three and they decided to go with somebody who was 0 for 6 the Knicks will be the Knicks 0 for 7 0 for 7 he was 0 for 6 before that okay but he ended 0 for 7 that's why I'm saying he was 0 for 6 before that with that 0 for 7 but it it was a great game but you were talking about Baisley turning the corner here yes okay finally my man Baze <laughs> everyone knows I love Baisley so do you think he's turned a corner piece I definitely think he has I think that he's turned the corner in terms of really understanding his new role on the team that he's not going to be the high usage guy who dribbles the ball a lot and does a bunch of things like that like a superstar but he's turned more into a role player uh, Miles and I talked about this before in the fall about spreading yourself thin that you end up not doing anything so that seems like what he's done the opposite of, and now he's focusing on three to four things that you can do every game. You know, finding a formula to be consistent that you can be successful every single game. Absolutely, and I think we've really seen him grow this season versus the past couple seasons that he's been with the Thunder and he's been in the league. And so I think he's definitely a star on this young team, and he's being a, a good leader for those younger members. Yeah, just in the last 10 games, he's averaging 15 points, eight rebounds, and two assists on 45% shooting and 43% from three. That's really, really good, just turning it around because he was really struggling earlier in the season. He's also turned the corner. I, he's turned the corner in the sense of being a really versatile defender who can block shots and rebound. I can definitely see a path for him being in the league for a long time. The only thing that I see that is like maybe cause for concern is just some of his offensive game needs improvement to be more consistent. Like, these last 10 games, he's really been hitting his three, and that's changed a lot of things. But it can't be just a 10-game sample size. you got to hit those threes consistently long-term if you're going to be somebody who's, say, 
a consistent starter in the league. Absolutely. But do you think because Shea is out, and I know we kind of talked about this earlier, it's going to get kind of controversial, but do you think it's because Shea is out that Baisley, Giddy, and Mann are really shining together? Their numbers are going to go up just sheerly out of the, I don't know, situation that they're in, that you take a guy out who we mentioned before averages like 24 points per game. Somebody's going to have to fill those up. So I think that it's helped those guys that there's not such a, I don't know, somebody taking a bunch of shots in there, so it's cleared more opportunities for them. But, I mean, last night was crazy. They win without Dort and Shea. They're two best players and did some really nice things. But it definitely opens up opportunities for these guys. But Baisley still has to go through those doors, and he still has to make the best of those opportunities. Because there were games earlier this year where Shea was out or Dort was out, and he wasn't stepping up. But you're seeing it now with Trey Mann. You mentioned it earlier. Like, he was averaging, like, two points a game. And now he's scoring 30 in Madison Square Garden. He scored 30 against the Mavericks. It's uh, a lot of just development. Yeah, absolutely. And we love to see a good development anywhere, especially on this young team, as we just keep mentioning, because, you know, they are a building team. They're trying to rebrand. And once they fully complete their roster, I think they're really going to go far in the playoffs in the next couple seasons. Yeah, this team is all about development. If you grade them on the scale of wins and losses, you're going to be really disappointed. But if you look at it like the way we're talking about, like Trey Mann averaging two points to now hitting step backs in Madison Square Garden and beating the Knicks and hitting clutch free throws, you need to evaluate them based on how much they've improved as individuals. Absolutely. And because we love them so much, let's get into some Valentines. So we have a couple categories, but we'll break them down for you. The first category, we have Heartbreaker. Someone who hasn't lived up to the hype this season on the Thunder. Who are you giving this Valentine's to? Teo Maladon. After last year, it looked like he was going to be somebody who could have like a George Hill level career as just like a off-ball point guard who can play great defense and hit some threes. But his stats have really just cratered this season, and he's been kind of replaced by Trey Mann. He's been playing better of recently, but it, it, it's been really disappointing to watch Teo this year after some of the great stuff he was doing last year where he was averaging close to 20 points in a lot of those games. Uh, let's see here. I have the stats. If I can pull them up. But yeah, he was uh, not 20 points. He scored 20 a lot of games, but he averaged around 10 on pretty good efficiency. He was hitting his threes, and now his numbers have just cratered. It's been very disappointing that he hasn't, I guess, improved off his games last year. Do you think it's because it's, it's, this is such a young team and they have all this fresh talent that he's not getting the opportunities or he is and he's just not taking advantage of them? It's a mix of both. When he has been on the floor, he hasn't been great. But last year with a lot of those guys, like Shea was out for a while. He had that injury with his foot. Uh, George Hill got traded. They cleared out a lot of the roster. Lou Dort missed some games. So he, I think he led the team in minutes last year just by being super healthy and they just like to play him a lot. Whereas this year, Guys have been more healthy, and you add Aaron Wiggins to the mix. You add Josh Giddy to the mix. You add Trey Mann. You add a bunch of other guys. There's just more of a number crunch this year than last year. Okay, well, you know, my heartbreaker has to go to Shea. Oh. I know, but here's the thing. I think this team is doing so well without Shea. They are finally finding a chemistry instead of, here, let's just pass it to Shea because we know he's going to make it. He's just going to run the ball down the court and he's going to make it. No, like you're seeing people who don't usually play together play so well to get together and there's so many more opportunities to pass the ball because, you know, I'm not going to lie, I think Shea's kind of a ball hog. 
because Ooh, I don't know about that. Okay, but he's so well. He's obviously so consistent. He's such a great player, but he doesn't trust his teammates on the court, and I think that's something that we did see when he was playing before he got injured. So I'm I'm excited to see him come back, and after seeing how how his team has done, so he could he could be able to fix the broken heart. But just see how he adjusts based on how guys are playing now. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that'll be really interesting to see how he adjusts based off how Giddy's been playing. They've, you know, Giddy said early in the season before, like right after the draft, he's never played with another point guard. So this has been a big adjustment for him. That's why you're seeing Giddy play better is he's more in his traditional role. But if you're going to get the best out of both those guys, they need to play together because they are your two best players. I feel like then they need to find a better chemistry because there's not a rhythm to how they play like there is to this trio right now. Yeah, but that's what this whole year is about, is about just discovering and finding chemistry and trying new things. And there's plenty of time. I mean, there's still 30 games left or so. And these guys are both really smart and they both like each other. I didn't mention this when we were talking about the Knicks game, but it was really fun watching the sideline of how excited those guys were for their teammates, like jumping up and down. Yeah, Shea was leading that too. Like he was extremely happy for his teammates. And I'm very proud of him for that because he's not like a sore injury player, as I like to call Mm -hmm. them. And I just wish they were out on the field. Like he is a true leader on the team and he does, you know, help his teammates out and he is cheering for them. You took the words out of my mouth. He is the leader of this team. Everybody looks to him. They know he's the guy. He sets the work ethic and the culture and the standard with a lot of those things. You mentioned that you don't think he passes enough, but he leads the league in drives. Sometimes it's not about just passing because Giddy can make up for that fact that if Shea doesn't pass all the time, but I think you're getting unreal expectations because of how much Shea, that how much Giddy passes. He's not the regular amount. Okay. But I think there's still a corner for Shea. He's shown in different years, like when he was with the Clippers before he got traded to the Thunder, and then a couple years ago when he played with Chris Paul, that he can play winning basketball and play off ball with other guys who have the ball a lot. It's just the last two years, there haven't been great options around him, so it's been more of him trying to take on a heavy toll and doing a lot of the legwork. Okay, so Shea can mend this broken heart. Let, let's just put it... We'll put it that way. We'll yeah, put it that put way. pause. And so now we have Mr. Heartthrob, who is the fan favorite, who's your favorite this season. The masked man, Lou Dort. Everyone's <laughs> favorite. Everyone loves Lou Dort. Some of it's just because his last name's Dort, and it's just a fun name to say. Some of it's because he's built like a fire hydrant and just knocks people over. But I think a lot of you know Oklahoma people identify with working hard and work ethic and getting your bootstraps up and getting out of the mud. And Lou Dort's a guy who was a five-star recruit out of Canada, went to Arizona State, was all first team defense or maybe even the player of the year and then goes undrafted. The Thunder pick him up just out of the scrap heap and he works his way to be a playoff rotation guy from the G League. Uh, He goes from being in the G League to a playoff rotation guy and guarding James Harden in the game seven of the playoffs and now he's signing a probably a big deal over the summer. I think people love Dor. I can't get enough of him and just watching how much he's improved has been really, really fun. I do love Dort as well, but mine goes to Giddy. I loved Giddy. I'm a big fan of his. I'm surprised I mean, you didn't pick Baisley here. I have him for another one. Oh. Don't, don't jump the gun on me right there. But I just think that Giddy has really proved himself this season. And coming from Australia, only being 19 and, you know, being on TikTok, I'm sure he's gotten a lot of female fans out there, me being one of them. It's just hard not to love this guy, especially because I'm 19 too. So, Can you imagine scoring a 30-point triple-double in Madison Square Garden? I could not, but I'm also not good at basketball. I'm more of a sideline cheerleader. You've never tried. 
Mm. I'm gonna give it your effort. But Giddy is fun to watch. You, I, I follow him on TikTok too. It's fun. <laughs> there are a lot more guys thirsting after him in the comments than girls somehow. You know that I, I can see that. He, it's, he's it's just likable by everyone. He's a likable guy, but he. He makes those same TikToks every game with the same sound. It's it's a lot of fun for those who don't see, but I don't blame you for picking him as, you know, your heartthrob as one of the fan favorites because he's a new name on campus. He's a fancy new toy. He is a fancy new toy. And he's, you know, he hasn't been here long enough to show some maybe warts that are out there in his game, but he's been a lot of fun. He's definitely gone past a lot of expectations that were here preseason. Absolutely. So now we have the rising heart, and this has been a rising star on the team that has slowly been getting better, slowly been making those plays. Who is your rising heart? We're going to just turn this into the Trey Man podcast. <laughs> this is just about Trey Man. He's improved so much. I mean, you can go back to the broccoli Skittles conversation, all that stuff. He's playing more defense. He's getting more consistent with his shot. He had to go down to the G League to get some confidence, to get to learn how he needs to play and find his shots. Mark Dagnall's talked a lot about it. And it's just been really, really fun to watch his game progress because there were times even when he was in the summer league playing against a bunch of other rookies where it's like, is this guy going to make it? Is he going to be okay? But his confidence has just steadily increased and he's found his place in the league. And now it looks like he's not going to be stopped with all this confidence. Absolutely. For me, it's Baisley. I mean... I love Baisley. I say that on here all the time, but he has just really proven himself with Shea's absence and just, you know, he's had a couple seasons under his belt and he's really now performing. Like he's finding his groove. He's rising to the top. And I'm really excited to see where he's going to go after Shea is back. I try to be easier on Baisley, even though he does frustrate me sometimes because he has had one of the more unique paths to the NBA of anybody ever. So. He comes out of high school where he's a five-star recruit. He commits to Syracuse and then decommits, and he signs a $1 million deal with New Balance where he thinks he's going to play in the G League and be paid by New Balance. He decides, no, I'm not going to play in the G League. I'm just going to work for New Balance and just train all year. So he didn't play in college. He went from high school straight to the NBA, which guys haven't been doing that since like the early 2000s. And then his rookie year, there's a pandemic. So he's had not the easiest path to the league, so I try to be a little bit easier on him, but you're right. He has really improved. He's found um, his stride and what's expected of him and what he needs to do. It really it touched me when he was talking the other week about being a perfectionist and how it's just kind of hard to, because guys are telling him, like, you're playing well, but he's just focusing on the misses. But I hope that he can, you know, settle down and be happy with what he's accomplished this year because he's really really improved absolutely and I definitely believe we are our biggest critics and nothing will ever be enough for yourself like you're always going to be left with wanting more and so I really do hope that Baisley finds that peace and like that rhythm of just the love for the game and it doesn't matter you know your wins to losses just like constantly going out there and improving but our last award is the heart attack award who is someone who shocked you this season Josh Giddy. I mean, he, he gets picked six, but a lot of the ex. Did you ever see the meme about him where there was a meme where it said Josh Giddy and it said weaknesses and it was like dribbling, shooting, defense, athleticism, and the comment underneath is like, so his weakness is basketball? <laughs> and now the meme is they crossed out weaknesses and they put strengths and it's like everything in basketball. Oh, I love that. But yeah, Giddy coming into this year, I knew he was going to be a great passer, but I had no idea just like we've talked about before, like how he's huge like at 6'9 for a point guard and he's only 19 he's gonna put more meat on those bones and really get even bigger 
but it's been really surprising to see just his level of feel for the game, touch, how smart he is. Like, there are just so many things about his game that you can't teach. Absolutely. And I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this comment, but I feel like he plays and he looks super unathletic when he plays. Like, he, he's very long and lengthy and playing in kind of the shorter guy position. And he's just bigger and he, more masculine. He plays too straight up. Yeah. He's got to get him in some hot yoga classes or something like that. He needs to get a little bit more flexible. But I love watching the awkwardness. It's very entertaining for me. And you would love to watch Nikola Jokic, who's like 300 <laughs> pounds and looks like a walrus, but averages like 30, 10, and 10. MVP from last year. That is insane. My heart attack is man because he, like we said at the beginning of the season, was averaging about two to four points per game. And now here he is, 30 points. And he's just finding his rhythm with Baze and with Giddy, as we just keep mentioning. And he, he's definitely shocked me watching the Thunder this season. Mm-hmm. How was your Valentine's Day this year? I know we're talking a lot of Valentine's Day Thunder stuff. My Valentine's Day was great. It was super low-key. You know, being a student, it's kind of hard just to take those days off and kind of relax because you have a paper due the next day. But my Valentine's Day was pretty great. How was yours, Michael? Do you have a funny right. story I, I, for I us? I do. I do, actually. <laughs> it feels like you knew that. But, I mean, I hung out with some friends this week, but I do have a story of one time when I was around, I was like a senior in high school, and we went, my friends and I went to go see Deadpool on Valentine's Day when it came out. And my friends bought the tickets, so I showed up early and bought pop- popcorn and the drinks. So I'm waiting for my friends to get there. And this old man sees me like there with a large popcorn and a large drink sitting by myself. And he walks up to me, he taps me on the shoulder, and he goes, son, I don't think she's going to show up. That, that hurt. That hurt my soul. That, that hurts. That hurts me hearing that. I just cringed because yeah. that's and so then, sad. Then my friends did show up. We had a great time watching the movie. But that is something I will always think about. And it makes me laugh that this guy felt the need who was like 70 years old, him and his wife at the movie. They're like, I need to tell this guy. She's she, not she's not, come. Going, she's not showing up. I don't think a girl would really want to see Deadpool on Valentine's Day either. So I think that might have been. See, I'm smart. I didn't ask. Yeah, that is is super smart. But now we're going to transition out of the Thunder because we've spent this whole time talking about them. So trade deadlines just ended on Thursday. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to talk about this Simmons Harden trade because last week we talked, you know, and we were like, Simmons needs to be traded. He needs to be off the team. He needs to be somewhere where he can thrive. And I think they just did that. Yeah, for those who don't know, James Harden and Paul Millsap of the Nets were traded to the 76ers for Ben Simmons, Andre Drummond, Seth Curry, not Steph, a protected first-round pick and an unprotected first-round pick. I really like this deal for both teams. I feel like they've both improved. Not many times are you going to see a win-win trade in any sport, but it looks like it. I like Harden. They finally get their guy in Philadelphia. Daryl Morey gets the guy who he's wanted since he left Houston. Paul Millsap is just there because they needed to add salary. Ben Simmons goes to the Nets, which is going to be fun because he, uh, we talked about this before we started recording, but he gets some co-stars around him and KD and Kyrie who really minimize his weaknesses and he maximizes their strengths and minimizes their weaknesses. It's a really good yin-yang combination of those guys can score all the points and he defends everybody. Andre Drummond is one of the best backups in basketball and that was a really nice pickup that kind of goes under the wire for the Nets. They also get those two first-round picks, which are nice. They can maybe use that in a deal later. And they get Seth Curry, who's another great shooter. I mean, if you're going to be in the Curry family, you're going to be a great shooter. That's just one of the given things. But I really like this deal for both teams. Do you have anybody who you think 
won the trade or any big thoughts on it? I think the Nets definitely won this trade. I mean, they obviously got more bang for their buck. They only ended up trading two players to get three and two first round picks, Mm -hmm. which is really great. And Simmons finally got out of the 76ers. I didn't say 46ers this Mm, time. Proud. Um, The 76ers. And he... I think he's really going to thrive on the Nets, and he's the player the Nets have been waiting for, and I think the Nets could go all the way this year, which which we'll get more into later. I think the Nets also won this trade. There's just some things that are just crazy about this. Um, So a story already came out today that Kevin Durant and James Harden were kind of fighting over how the offense is going to be played and some different things, and then James Harden gets traded, which this is hilarious to me, is now they said that everyone likes each other in the locker room. One guy left the team. Like, that's obvious of who they don't like, of who was ruining the chemistry. Like, if you, me, and, like, four other friends were hanging out, and we were all fighting, and then you left, and then it's like, well, now everything works. I'm, I'm sure you'd feel pretty bad. James Harden's not feeling yeah. great right now. I don't think he's feeling too great, but I think he's where he's supposed to be. He's happy to be in this environment. He gets to play for Daryl Morey, who will put up with about anything that James Harden wants to do, whether that's going... He's the only player, I think, in NBA history who has his number retired in a strip club. In a strip club? In Houston. James Harden does. Okay, so next week I'm actually going to plan a trivia match for Michael over here because he knows everything there is to know about basketball. Uh, not everything. I'm sure he'll stump me on some things. Miles got me on a couple ones when he did trivia and I looked really, really stupid. But I'm, I'm really excited for that trivia. Yes. But this Harden trade, this has been something that's been in the works for a while. I like this just for the Nets overall, but there's still quest- big questions on both sides. Like, Philadelphia is acting like they're getting Houston prime James Harden, who's an MVP. James Harden has not played that well this year. He's been really injury prone. He's been lazy. He has been just not playing that well. He's missed a lot of his threes. He's not getting to the line as much since those big moves uh, with the rule changes in the offseason. And then as for Brooklyn, I mean, on paper, you think Simmons, Kyrie, and KD is a great fit. Kevin Durant is injured. Ben Simmons hasn't played in a year. Kyrie Irving can only play in road games because he's not vaccinated. Like, there's still a lot of big questions, and that's why, as we're going to talk about later, there's such a big, I don't know, power struggle and fight for who's going to be the king of the East, who's going to make it to the finals on both sides. I completely agree. And we're seeing all of these new players come in, players stepping up that weren't supposed to be stepping up, unpredicted things happening. Who do you think is going to win the MVP now? Oh, I I have a couple tiers. So I have the first tier and then some honorable mentions because there still is a lot of time left. You can still make it up. But first tier, Joel Embiid, he's dominating. He's had one of the best, um, I guess, big man years since Shaquille O'Neal. And then he's been fighting an uphill battle all year long with Ben Simmons just not playing without that spot. And now he gets James Harden. He's been putting up great numbers. He plays on both ends. Joel Embiid, who, who was a guy who was missing a bunch of games early in his career, has now been kind of a workhorse and has been really, really healthy and consistent this year and turned himself into a really nice leader and just really helped their team play at a high level. I mean, even without their second best player in Ben Simmons all year, they're in the top four in the East. Next, we've got last year's MVP, Nikola Jokic. He's really trying to pull up this Nuggets team as they've had just, they've been decimated by injuries. They've Lost Michael Porter Jr. for the year with a back injury. Jamal Murray tore his ACL last year in the playoffs. It's been Jokic and a bunch of just random guys, and he's still putting up numbers. He's probably the best passer in the league. I know that you love Giddy, but it's still got to be Jokic. That's okay. Giddy will one day take that over. We'll, we'll see. There's still time. There's a lot of great passers in the league. 
Um, Giannis, of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who won the last two MVPs before last year, NBA champion last year. He's also kind of like I mentioned with Embiid and Jokic, I guess is kind of the theme of playing despite some of these injuries around you. But Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez have all dealt with the injury bug this year. And Giannis being the alien that he is, it doesn't matter. He can guard one through five on defense. He can play one through five on offense. He's improved his free throws, which were the real Achilles heel of him in that playoff run last year, which now if you, because he's unstoppable at the rim. So the only thing that you could do was foul him and maybe send him to the line like Shaq and hope he misses. Not happening anymore. He's shooting like 70% from the line. And then finally, in the first tier, I have DeMar DeRozan, who is a really fun story as a guy from who played in Southern California, USC, got drafted to the Raptors, and then they trade him for Kawhi Leonard, and they immediately win a championship in Toronto without him after they traded him. So he has talked pretty openly about, like, you know, is this my fault? Was I the problem? He goes to San Antonio, revamps his career before being traded to Chicago this year, and now he's broken... If he gets one more game, I think he'll break a record set by Wilt Chamberlain, which if you break a Wilt Chamberlain record, that's kind of like he has all the records, so that's a big deal. He's had, I think, six straight games of 35 points on over 50% shooting. That's crazy. Over 50% shooting on mostly mid-range shots. He's set a bunch of records for the Bulls that haven't been touched since Michael Jordan in terms of scoring records, so great job for DeMar DeRozan. He also has the Bulls in a top two seed in the East, but those are my top four of the first tier and then would you like to talk about yours or should I get into the honorable mentions first I mean I also had Joel Embiid I think he is someone to really watch out for this season I think he's just been a great star on his team but I personally would love to see Steph Curry win this and it's not just because he is an amazing person off the court I think he's so great on the court and he has such good potential he's still young he still has a lot of fight left in him so if it's not this year I can definitely see him going on to win in the next couple of years, but he has an average of 25.8 points per game, 6.3 assists this year. So I think that's a great job. He's an absolute leader on the floor and he really is good at help integrating new players. And he's very good about, you know, just making sure that everyone is going to do their part on the floor, making sure everyone has their moment to shine, but he's always still shining because he's Steph Curry. He's been great this year, uh, or he's been great for a lot of points this year. He had a really big shooting slump, I guess, to start this new year, which has kind of dropped him out of the MVP race. Along with the injury to Draymond Green, they've kind of dropped down the standings where they were the number one team in the West, and now they might end up being third behind Memphis. But Steph is having a great year. Just I wouldn't say quite as good as those other guys, but he could definitely win it next year. Oh, absolutely. And then... Uh, do you have any more guys you want to talk about before I get into honorable mentions? No, you can go straight into honorable mentions. Thank you. I also had Steph, so we agree with that. And then Chris Paul slash Devin Booker, which is hard because they have the best record in the entire league, best record in the West, but they're going to have to kind of split votes because they are the two best players on the team. It's kind of one of those things that's unfortunate that like they're both playing at a high level, but you can't vote for both of them. And you get into the big conversation of who's more responsible for the winning who's more responsible for how they're playing right now and then last but not least Ja Morant of Memphis they are playing awesome basketball right now they are might be the most fun team in the league to watch they're throwing they're talking all the trash they're throwing lob dunks they're shooting threes they're playing great defense they're doing a bunch of things and then Ja is in his third year right now and he's already in the MVP conversation not too many guys can say they're doing that and now they're almost like I mentioned maybe number two in the west coming in from last year where they barely made the play in they made some noise and lost in the first round of the jazz 
I've just been really impressed with Ja as a leader and as a player this year. Absolutely. And so now that we've gone through all of our MVPs and the deadline is over, which teams are contenders for finals this year? Who's going to win the whole thing? Who's going to win the whole thing? Let me get the contenders first. This is a big question. But yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of these deals are really going to impact the league. They're very landscape changing, like the Ben Simmons move, James Harden. Those are the big ones. Some of the other teams like the Bucks add some guys. The Heat uh, got some more roster flexibility. The Bulls didn't really do anything. But out West, I've got the Suns and the Warriors as the cream of the crop. I think they're the only two teams in the West who can realistically win it. Absolutely. I have them as well. Yeah. You've got Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, Devin Booker, Jay Crowder, all those guys. They've really filled in a lot of the holes in their roster from last year, which was their center minutes. But now they get JaVale McGee in there and they have Bismack Biombo and just a lot of shooters. They, they just top to bottom don't really have a lot of weaknesses. The Warriors as well are a really great team. They've missed Draymond, but they're finally getting Clay back, and he's looking more and more like himself. Steph's playing nearly an MVP level. Andrew Wiggins made the All-Star game. They have Steve Kerr, who's a great coach. I think they're right there. And as far as in the East, I got to throw the Bucks in there, the reigning champions. They have maybe the best player in the world in Giannis. They added Serge Ibaka to help them out with some of the Brook Lopez minutes they're missing. Um, the Heat, I think, are up there. They're the number one team in the East right now, record-wise. They're not somebody that people talk necessarily a lot, a lot about because they just win games. They're not necessarily fun to watch. They don't look great on paper either, which is kind of shocking once you look at their record and they're winning all these games, but you look at their stats and it's like, what's happening? They might have the best coach in the entire NBA and Eric Spolstra, and all their guys fit well together. They know their role and they know how to play. And they're just a really strong defensive-minded team who's gritty and is going to go punch you in the mouth when they play. <laughs> Nobody would wants to see them in the first round or the second round. If I'm somebody like Milwaukee, the 76ers, the Bulls, or the Nets, I'm hoping somebody knocks them out early because I'm not trying to play the Heat. Fair enough, fair enough. And Anyone we've else? A, we've got a couple more. Um, the 76ers, of course. They add James Harden to already an MVP candidate, maybe the favorite in Joel Embiid. I still think they're... There's some clunky fits just offensively and defensively. You get two great players, but James Harden is somebody defensively who likes to switch on defense. So you can just keep going and you can do faster things. Whereas Embiid is somebody who likes to play drop coverage. So he's not going to switch. He stays in the lane and they want you to kind of bait your guy into going in the lane so he can block those shots. So that's going to be a clunky fit. And then you're asking a lot of guys to kind of play different types of basketball on offense where Tyrese Maxey has been their point guard all year and now he's getting pushed to a role that he's not necessarily good at as a shooting guard next to James Harden. It'll be interesting to see how he adapts but I think they're a pretty good team. They definitely have what it takes to win it all or especially I mean more realistically make the finals and of course we got to talk about the Nets. They made that big trade Ben Simmons but it's still a lot of those hypotheticals like I said about like Kyrie's injury he's not just the COVID thing he's had a lot of injuries in the past Ben Simmons hasn't played in a year and went the last time he was in the playoffs he got clowned because he didn't play well and wouldn't shoot and Kevin Durant's had some injuries Steve Nash has not really coached us he doesn't have a lot of coaching experience so that could bite them and then finally the Chicago Bulls the Chicago Bulls are the best story of this season not to toot my own horn but I I called that they would be <laughs> the Knicks of this year as a team that would rise up and play a lot better than last year I had no idea or couldn't comprehend them maybe being the number one team in the East, but I think they have the, they have the potential if a lot of things fall their way, but I think they have the, um, the lowest possibility of winning it out of those other four teams that I mentioned from the East. 
No, I agree. I definitely really want to see the Nets do well. They're my team that I'm personally pulling for because everything just seems to be coming together for them. If they win the overall this year, I feel like that's going to be a great, uh, not a Cinderella story, but it's just a great story of how much they've overcome this season with everything that's happening with Kyrie and then the injuries and then now Simmons in the in the mix. But I feel like if they do make it super far, Simmons is not going to choke like he did. Like he is going to start making those moves. And I just, I mean, that's such an early prediction. Like you said, he hasn't played in a year. So it's going to be really interesting to see. But I feel like he can do it. When Ben Simmons doesn't shoot in the fourth quarter of another game in like two weeks, I'm going to bring this back up to you and we'll talk okay, about fine. it. Okay, <laughs> fine. You, you can bring it back up. But I'm just calling it now. This is the team that I feel like he was meant to be on. We finally got that trade in and it's going to happen. Who do you have, I guess, winning it all? Who are the two teams who are going to make it? I think it's going to be the Warriors and the Nets, but I'm just a big fan of the Nets right now, and the Warriors are obviously stacked, and so I, I would not be surprised if it's those final two. Who are about, What about you? I think it's the Suns and the Bucks. I think we get a rematch of last year. Okay. I think this time, oh, it's like a coin flip. Those teams are so good. Um I'm still taking the Bucks. Giannis is the best player in the series. I think that it goes down in six games, just like last year. Um, do you have a prediction out of seven games? How many games do you think it'll take between the Nets and the Warriors? I want it to take all seven. All I'd seven. love a really, really close game. And I want them all to be super close. I want it to go back and forth. And then it's that final seventh game, that sold-out stadium. Everything's on them. The pressure's on. Who's going to perform in that high-pressure environment? And it's going to be really good to see who rises if that does happen hypothetically. Only time will tell. I I think that we're going to need to see a little bit more sample size of these guys playing together before I nail myself down to a prediction before I, I look agree. like a fool. We but still have like it, over 30 games fun. left. Yeah, and, and we have the all-star matchup coming up soon, Rising Stars game. There's just so much about to happen. I mean, you think about even last year, the Bucks won it all, but there was a time where they're down 2-0 to the, or down 1-0 or 2-0 to the Nets, and people are already talking about, well, who's going to be the next coach of the Bucks because they're obviously going to fire this guy because they're going to lose, and they go on to win it all because Kevin Durant has his foot on the line, James Harden, Kyrie get hurt. There's just so much that can change. I think it's hard to make a prediction now, but I think that regardless of what happens, I think we have a good idea of the camp of teams that can win it all, like I mentioned with the Suns, Warriors, Bucks, Nets, Heat, 76ers, and maybe the Bulls. Absolutely. I think those are all really solid teams, and if they weren't mentioned, they're probably not going to make it into the finals, but it's only, like you said, only time is going to tell. But speaking of time, I think we're out of time for today, Michael, and it's been so great talking about the Thunder and the NBA with you, and we hope everyone had a fantastic Valentine's Day yesterday, and we cannot wait to be back with y'all. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to look at all of our social medias, follow us on Thundergrads on Instagram and Twitter. I'm going to continue to put more posts out there. I know Haley liked the Valentine's Day stuff. Real quickly, y'all have to go check out our Instagram at the Thundergrads because Michael stayed up until like 2 a.m. learning how to Photoshop and made all of the best Valentine's. So go find your favorite Thunder player. Go send that Valentine, even though it's after Valentine's, to someone that you love or someone that you have a crush on. 
You have a favorite one of them? I personally love the Lou Dort one and the mask, and it's like a little mask joke. So Yeah, I can't mask my love for you any longer. It's, Absolutely. I definitely sent that to my mom. So It's been fun today. Thanks, Haley. It's been awesome. So tune in next time, y'all, and we can't wait to talk more basketball. Thank you.